Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good to be here this morning. Good to see you all on what is turning out to be a cloudy Sunday morning, which is nice. I think we need the rain. Um, My name is Gabe, and I'm a member of the staff team here at City Church, and uh, it's my privilege to bring the talk or sermon to you this morning. Pastor Pete has been away officiating a wedding out of town, so uh, that is why I'm here and he is not. And uh, so um, we have been in this, the Kingdom of God series, and specifically we've been looking at the book of Mark. And Pastor Pete started this series uh, in Mark a couple weeks ago, and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Am I sounding okay? Okay, I'm reading some faces like, uh, maybe it's not what I sound like, maybe it's what I look like. Um, also, I, w- I want to uh, say welcome to those who are joining us online as well. Um, but we are looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, I, I believe that a sermon, among other things, serves uh, at least two, two purposes. One is it, it informs our thinking, but it should also inspire us to action. So that um, when I try the best I can when I'm putting together a sermon, the the overriding question is, what do I want them to do more than what do I want them to know? But they play together. So I want to do a little bit of informing, as Pastor Pete does uh, consistently when he teaches, and that is give some kind of background into the, the passage on which we're, we are going to be focusing on today. Now, why did Mark offer his portrayal of Jesus, his gospel? Well, he tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's it. Everything that follows serves that aim, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Did you know that the scriptures, including the Gospels, were originally meant for the ear and not the eye? The original audible people, books people, were the people back in the the day. Um, And as such, the authors, the composers of the scriptures put together their their books, their gospels, their writings in such a way to enhance the memory of the stories. They might use things like repetition of words and phrases and symbols and events. They will also arrange the stories in such a way to serve their agenda. Yes, they had an agenda, and that's okay. It's a good agenda. For example, the gospel writers each had their agenda because they had also their audience in mind. And so we can, uh, if you read from one gospel to the next, you might see one incident happen here, and in this different gospel, that same incident happened here. So chronology was not um, the primary driver here. 
It's what they wanted you to see about Jesus. And when we read the Gospels together, we get a fuller picture of Jesus. And in Mark, he wants us to know that this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's going to unpack what that looks like and what that means for us. Now, Mark also has a very distinct um, style. It seems as though Mark is in a hurry to get the story told because he moves from one scene to the next without much of a pause and without much introduction or anything. He just, boom. Um, in chapter one of Mark, uh, there's no birth narrative. There's nothing that kind of ramps us up to Jesus. He starts off with John the Baptist in the wilderness, baptizing people, and then guess who? Jesus comes on the scene. Boom, right away. He wastes no time in accomplishing his agenda for declaring the good news about Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God. And that is going to be a really important phrase as we get into our talk today. Um, the scene also is part of an arrangement in chapters 2 through chapter 3, verse, up until verse 6. This is part of the way that Mark is advancing his agenda. He's arranging the story. But he's also doing something called repetition here as well. And uh, what he does, what we see repeated for Mark here is the presence of conflict and opposition. There should be a visual behind me. Uh, is there? Yes, thank you. And uh, there it kind of depicts the, the five different episodes of conflict and opposition. One of those has to do with Jesus keeping bad company tax collectors and sinners. The other two of them have to do with the activities on the Sabbath, gathering grain for food and the audacity, healing somebody on the Sabbath. Another has to do with fasting. And the fifth has to do with the one that we're going to focus on today. And that is... The conflict that, the, the thing that stirred up conflict in this scene is that Jesus had the audacity to forgive someone's sins. Why does Mark use this motif of conflict and opposition here? I, <clears throat> could be many things, but I, I think. Um, and and, and when, when I, whenever I speak, I speak from my place, my functioning, as the congregational care pastor. Um, and so you'll, you'll notice that that's sort of the bent that I see in my perspective. So why conflict and opposition? Because I think that, I believe that conflict and opposition provide some really interesting opportunities, some unique opportunities to, to gain wisdom, understanding, compassion, and also to experience intimacy. When I sit together with pre-marriage couples, when we come to the topic on conflict, I, I introduce it by saying conflict offers us the opportunity for intimacy. And they get the similar look on their faces that you have. Because like, yeah. we think of conflict as something that we must avoid. Many of us do, right? Um, but it is not something we avoid. It's something that we lean into. And if we're responsive to conflict in a healthy way, then we will experience intimacy. Why intimacy? Because conflict pre presents the opportunity for us to step into one another's shoes, empathy. 
And empathy leads to understanding. And this kind of empathy and understanding tells, tells me that you see me and you understand me. And that's a recipe for intimacy. So that's a benefit of conflict. Conflict here and in many places in the Gospels um, serves to emphasize who Jesus is, what he's saying, and the meaningfulness of the work that he has come to do. So it does highlight that. Now, don't go out and start creating conflict just because. <laughs> it, it'll happen. It'll happen. <clears throat> so I provided the text for this morning on the screen, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it reads this way. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So what did they do? They dug a hole in the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I've entitled today's sermon, Audacious. Now, it's not original. Preachers for generations have been entitling their sermons audacious. Audacious hope, audacious faith, audacious love, whatever. So I'm not claiming originality here. But I am, saying, I am seeing some features of audacity in this story, particularly uh, coming from at least three of the main characters. So um, what is audacious? Merriam-Webster defines it this way. I think it's behind me. Intrepidly daring, adventurous, recklessly bold, rash, contemptuous of law, religion, or decorum, insolent, marked by originality and verb. Now, appropriately, when we, when we use the word audacious or audacity, it's usually bent in sort of a negative way, right? It's, particularly when you look at these definitions. But it doesn't have to be bent in a negative way because I see certainly some audacity uh, here in Jesus. And I see him demonstrating some audacity. Um, and his audacity comes from who he is. It's rooted in his identity as who? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we read that Jesus is teaching in a home in Capernaum. And uh, some scholars say that this might be the home of Peter and Andrew, his brother. It's standing room only, not a very big home. Um, and uh, people were filling that place up. Now, homes of this time were not 
big as I mentioned, maybe 18 feet was the longest span uninterrupted in the home. And 50 people at the most could crowd into a home like this. And they did. And more, because we read that they were outside too. So no notion of social distancing was occurring there and then. And of course, the usual suspects were there, the townspeople, the disciples, and the religious leaders. When the paralyzed man is presented to Jesus, he does not address this man's most obvious need. Rather, he looks on this man and affectionately says to him, child, your sins are forgiven. Why start there when it was so obvious that this man needed to be touched and healed? Why start with forgiveness? Well, there could be many reasons, I think. Because this man's brokenness, our own brokenness, be it physical or otherwise, is rooted in humanity's bent away from the Creator and toward itself. The first humans set, at, set the table for this when they decided, with significant nudging from the serpent, that they would be better off taking control of their own destinies and managing creation disconnected from the Creator. We call this sin. And this sinfulness has led humanity into profound darkness that has had serious consequences, physically and otherwise. Hence, Jesus begins with, my child, your sins are forgiven. We are told that the teachers of the law just thought or thinking they didn't say it out loud, what is this man saying? What is he saying? Who does he think he is? Only God. He's blaspheming. I, and in this moment, I, I, I'm reminded of certain scenes in different comedies or show, shows where a character um, looks straight into the camera and then looks back at the people like, you know, oh, golly. You know, they have no clue. And they didn't. Because declaring one's sin forgiven is risky business for the reasons stated. That kind of declaration is both risky and easy because there's no way to substantiate whether one has actually experienced forgiveness. There's no obvious right, evidence of that. And it's certainly easy for them to condemn Jesus for saying that because, again, there's no evidence. Unless, and Jesus goes in for the proverbial kill and says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And he tells the man to stand up and go home. His authority to forgive sins is validated and substantiated by his ability to heal. I don't know what they were thinking after that, but he kind of outed the religious leaders because for whatever reason, they were not giving voice to their opposition. Maybe they were afraid. We, we see in other places where they were a little bit intimidated by the crowds, and this might have been the case there. Mark doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing that they, that they didn't give expression to it verbally. But Jesus 
pointed, pointed, uh, pointed, put his finger right on it and said, you are thinking this. And then he substantiated his authority to forgive. He is the Messiah. Because Messiah, in Jewish thinking, was not God, was not deity. So Messiah even didn't have the authority to forgive sins. Messiah was to, to do important work on behalf of Yahweh. But Messiah was not deity. Which is why Mark said, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. He didn't end it with the Messiah. It's not enough. It doesn't fully describe who Jesus is. And Jesus demonstrates that. So let's move quickly now to the um, second party I want to look at just briefly, and that's the religious experts. We already know about them. But listen, I, I also I want to be judiciously kind to the religious leaders. They were people that were deeply, deeply committed to the, to, to the law, to the Torah, to the traditions. They were the guardians. They were the keepers, the stewards. And they took their, their role very seriously. Some of them um, were, were very sincere. Some of them even um, responded to Jesus, right? We, Nicodemus and others. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, people who are members of this group of, of religious leaders. So not all of them were um, hard-headed and um, contrarian to Jesus. But many were, and uh, those are the ones with whom Jesus had the most difficult time. But they provided Jesus the opportunity to teach in ways that, uh, that the opposition, if absent of opposition, might not have been as so powerful. Um, but they were, they were who they were, right? They show up. But what do we notice about, um, about these folks? They are in a standing room only situation. What do you notice about the religious leaders? They have seats. They're seated. That suggests to me that they are people of privilege and that they're using it. They probably had front row seats. And people probably defer to them because of the consequential influence that they have on the Judeans' lives. And they were not afraid of using their privilege to confront Jesus. They did, and as I said, it sort of backfired on them. This was audacious. This is audacious behavior. But audacity that is, is, is directed in a direction that opposes Jesus as opposed to affirming who he is. Finally, let's move on to the friends. These are the ones I want to focus on. As I mentioned, I'm congregational care, so you're going to hear this bleed all over the place as I talk about the four friends and the audacity that they showed in their care, their compassion, their commitment to their friend to, to bring him to Jesus. We're told about these guys we, I don't know how far they had to walk to carry him. They carried him. 
I imagine it was not very close because if they were closer than they were, they might have been there already. It seems like they got there late to the party. But no matter. They heard Jesus was in town. They heard something about who Jesus was. I don't know what they knew. But whatever it was they knew, they said, ha, he's in town. Let's gather up our friend and let's get him in front of Jesus. They had no guarantee that, that the guy would see Jesus nor would that Jesus would do anything. But guess what? They were motivated by audacious compassion, audacious friendship, and they carried him. They carried him, whatever distance it was. The year is 1918 when a boy named Howard Loomis was abandoned by his mother at Father Flanagan's home for the boys we know today as Boys Town, Nebraska. Howard, the abandoned child, had polio, and he had to wear heavy, heavy leg braces. Walking was difficult and was uncomfortable for him, especially when he had to go up and down stairs. Soon, several of the older boys um, were carrying Howard up and down the stairs. One day, Father Flanagan asked Reuben Granger, one of those boys, whether carrying Howard was very difficult. Reuben replied, he ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. And that is the background to that composition, to that song. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. And I see this in those four men who carried their friend. Whatever distance and however much trouble they had to do it in, they might have replied the same way. Is he too heavy? And they said, he ain't heavy. He's our brother. The Apostle Paul has something to say about this kind of carrying of burdens in Galatians chapter 6. He wrote, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I love that about Paul. Does not mince words. We are meant to share each other's burdens, to carry each other's burdens, to allow others to carry ours too. I want us to, to think about that for a moment. Who, whose burdens can I help shoulder? Or what must I do to share, to allow someone else to carry mine? Um, one thing I like to... Uh, you to notice too is that these men were so committed to their friend that the, the crowds who made Jesus inaccessible to him um, was not going to discourage them or dissuade them from Jesus, bringing Jesus, right? And the, the thing I want us to notice, and I don't want to be cute here, but it is a sermon, and sermons are often riddled with cuteness. that his friends were carriers and the others were barriers. And I think it's important for us to decide, right? At moments like this, am I a carrier or am I a barrier to bringing people to Jesus so that they can receive what they need 
from him. Audacious friendship. Audacious friendship carries. And audacious friendship makes a way. We see that they not only carry him, they face the obstacle, but they, they're so committed that they, well, there's another way. And I would not have thought of it, but maybe, in, maybe it wasn't such a stretch for them. But let's take him up to the roof and dig, it, dig a hole in it and, and lower him down right in front of Jesus. That was their solution. And that solution came about because they were persistent. I'm going to tell you that that kind of persistence, that kind of caring, that kind of audacity makes a way. They carried him up those stairs, which are on the outside of the house. You might see a uh, probably, there it is, you know, you see the stairs, and then uh, this is actually a depiction of the, the story we're in. And um, so he's heavy, they're getting him up there, they dig through, and uh, can you imagine being in the house and <laughs> feeling the dirt, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> what is going on up there? And, uh, and uh, irrespective of what people were thinking, they were focused on this need on behalf of their friend. This is pretty powerful, pretty audacious to be that committed. And my hope is for us to experience that kind of audacity as the Spirit of God works in us and through us, that we would move away from fear of carrying each other's burdens and and doing what we can to a place where we just go for it. And his friends went for it. They didn't know what the outcome was, but guess what? Jesus noticed, and because of their faith, Jesus responded. He noted their faith, Mark tells us. That is connected to the consequences, to the outcome. May we be people who have that kind of audacity, that kind of faith, that kind of commitment to one another, that we will make a way for people to come to see Jesus. I want to highlight a couple of opportunities that we have here at City Church. One of them is Alpha. You've heard a lot about it, and Pastor Blake is, is the one uh, to whom we can talk and be informed about Alpha, but I love Alpha. Alpha is really about you bringing people who have not ever been introduced to Jesus to come and be introduced to him. And it's an opportunity for us to make a way for these people to come into that relationship with Christ. Um, and guess what? All the heavy work of presenting the gospel and making it sensible uh, is already done. We'll do that for you. Just bring your friend. It's not that your work is not easy. Is, is easy. You still must continue to be in relationship with them and, and love them and care for them in the way that Jesus would. The other thing I want to mention quickly is Stephen Ministries. Um, we have Stephen Ministers who walk with people on a one-on-one basis through whatever life-changing um, situation they may be experiencing. It could be the grief or the loss of a loved one. It could be empty nesting. But we have people that, that are committed to one-on-one. They are people whose life verse is Galatians chapter 6, to share one another's burdens. And we are committed to doing that. And we have a workshop, introduction workshop, coming up on October 8th, um, right here at church from 9 to 1 o'clock. And we'd like for you to learn something more about what Stephen Ministry is. It's, a, it's not, many of you don't even know that we have one, but that's okay because that's the way it works. 
it's behind the scenes, but people are being touched their lives. So I want to thank you for uh, indulging me this morning. I pray that we would be people who are audacious in our compassion and care like these friends. God bless.